Hello, and thank you all very much for coming at this early hour. Um, my name is Fiona Scott from the University of Sheffield. I'm currently edging painfully slowly towards the end of a PhD project. Um, and this is uh, looking at understanding preschool children's home engagement with media as a classed practice. So what I'm interested re really in is not so much what children are watching, but what they do with it at home. Um, so how do they uh, engage with it? How does it influence their play, the way they talk? Um, and I've called it the C word, mainly to be controversial, but also because um, increasingly class feels like something that it's become very difficult to talk about. Um, so particularly in academia, um, it's very unfashionable for people to talk about social class now. Um, some of the problems, it's really hard to define. There are lots of different scales and categorizations. They're all contested. Um, it's problematic to put people in categories, so um, the scale that I use for my research, when I tried to sort of understand where I would fit in in that, it's, I didn't really know. Um, so there are lots of problems. Um, and some people say it's just a completely outdated concept now. Um, so a famous example, Ulrich Beck, um, a sociologist, described social class as being sort of zombie categories that embodied 19th century sort of horizons of experience and not really reflecting the sort of range of experience and ambiguities of modernity. Um, but at the same time, um, as we're all aware, the UK suffers from really high levels of relative poverty. Um, Diamond and Gideons in 2005 pointed out that Britain, the poor in Britain are substantially poorer than the worst off in more equal industrialised societies. Um, so it is a real life problem that is affecting children's lives. So I thought, how am I going to research um, children's engagement with media as, as a classed practice? Um, and I looked to the literature in developmental psychology. There are loads and loads of studies there about children and television. Um, but socioeconomic factors tend to be kind of imported as a variable into existing debates. So if TV is bad for kids, then it's really bad for poor kids. Um, TV and related media, I think part of the problem is it's not really considered to be a social practice. It's kind of just a kid sitting in a room um, and can the social psychologists often disregard how social and physical it can be. Um, on the other hand, literacy studies is a field of research that does a lot that looks at how children's home practices can be classed um, and how class can be constructed by um, conversations and experiences at home. Um, but, unfortunately, a lot of literacy's work tends to focus just on your traditional printed texts, so reading books, um, rather than widening that definition to include engagement with television and related media. So moving along to my research, um, it's all about preschool children, um, broadly 0 to 6, although I focus mainly on children aged 3 and 4. And I'm interested in their range of engagement with television and all sorts of related media at, at home specifically. Um, I'm interested in what kind of content they engage with, across which devices and platforms, um, but in particular what children do with television related media. So as I said, how it impacts on their play and what they say what they do um, and also the social context of that viewing so who are they with what kind of conversations do they have what kind of interactions with other people <laughs> and as I've said there is this specific focus on socioeconomics um, so I said from the beginning that it would focus on families from economically and socially disadvantaged communities given the real lack of research particularly in academia in this area 
how did I do it? Um, well, I'm using a quantitative survey um, of 1,200 UK parents of children aged 0 to 6. Um, they were recruited in some Sheffield schools, but it was also um, put online, so it's a national data set. Um, but the bulk of my research has been this longitudinal ethnographic fieldwork. So the researcher, me, um, worked with eight families between March last year and February this year. Um, all of my families had at least one child who was aged either three or four at the start of the study. Um, and as I've said, social class, socioeconomic status are really difficult and problematic to define. Um, but what I used was um, an academic system, um, the Hope Goldthorpe scale. And I asked families to look at it and to select which one they felt represented their family. So I've selected five families who classified their work as manual according to this scale, which is what we'd understand as more sort of traditionally working class. Um, and three identified their work as professional, um, sort of more tr traditionally middle class families. Um, and my methods mix was very flexible. I would basically go along um, to families' homes, have all sorts of tools, cameras that the children could use. I was filming um, lots of activities and I would just stay with them for as long as they would have me. Um, and this happened once a month for about a period of a year. So, um, before I introduce some of my data, just a brief mention of some of the theoretical tools I'm using. Um, I've been very influenced by multimodal theory, the idea that human communication is multimodal. So particularly important for children of this age, communication isn't just about words, it's about gesture, it's about eye contact, it's about physical movement. Um, Equally, um, lots of people have pointed out that digital devices are multimodal, so the messages children are getting from them are multimodal. So the way I see it is this kind of complex web of meaning-making that's going on at home, where a child is interacting with people, physical objects, digital objects, and kind of making meaning in this complicated web. In terms of looking at social class, um, I've been using Bourdieu's notion of habitus, which suggests that power is culturally and symbolically created, and it's constantly re-legitimised through the interplay of both practice and structure. I've also been using the funds of knowledge approach, um, which refers to and, and places value in um, the, all of the practices that children engage with at home. Um, so it's based on this idea that all children have skills and knowledge that are specific to their communities, uh, but not all of these skills and knowledge are valued equally. And so my real question is, how is so social class implicated in these practices? So a couple of key findings. First of all, briefly from my survey, parents spend a significant time watching um, television with younger preschoolers. Um, so as you can see, almost 50% spend at least an hour to two hours watching television with their kids every day. And some spend significantly more time than that. But actually, when you break that down by social class, interestingly, professional parents said that they spent less time overall watching kids' television with their children. So the working class parents were spending a little bit more time actually physically with them engaging in that content. Um, so I'm going to present some findings now from my qualitative data, which is the really exciting stuff. Um, before I get going, I would say every child in my study is unique. Every family and community is a unique context, but there were some broad differences. Okay, so Harry and Emma, they're both preschoolers living in Sheffield. Their parents were asked to select their socioeconomic status from my scale, and both selected manual status. 
Um, so Harry has recently turned four. The leader, Harry's brother Keaton, is five years old. The brothers have been watching television and we're playing in the living room with other members of the extended family, including Johnny, also five. The boys have been telling me about a television show they like, The Powerpuff Girls. As they tell me about it, the conversation erupts into this spontaneous, but clearly previously rehearsed role play. Led by Keaton, the oldest, the boys are co-constructing a physical play scene based on this mutual enjoyment of the television show. Their shared knowledge of the characters' names and colours suggests they know the show well. Their discussions about the role each of them will play suggest prior instances of this play being created as a group. The boys' knowledge of the show is demonstrated in a physical, bodily recreation of the characters' movements, running, flying, jumping, fighting. And they also show knowledge and understanding of the show's narrative content and the dramatic tropes verbally, inventing a new narrative to fit the genre. So they say, I'm a baddie, you crime. It's, it's clearly not narrative from Powerpuff Girls, but it is of a genre, which is really interesting. Um, Emma, meanwhile, is also four, just shy of five. She's been playing Plants vs Zombies for weeks by the time I visit, and she's completely obsessed with it, as is her mum. Um, during my visit, Emma plays a lot of Plants vs Zombies, and her mum's been talking her through the different plants she can use to fight off zombies. But the game's really complicated, and she's becoming increasingly frustrated at her inability to play those harder levels. Later, when we're making cupcakes, we need to leave the icing to set, and she says that she wants to go and play the game again. Me and her mum both think she's going to go and sit on the sofa with the tablets, but she leads us outside and obviously invites me to go onto her trampoline. Some way into the bouncing, I don't really know what's going on, but she declares that we're in fact playing Plants vs Zombies now. Emma's literate play is built on a sophisticated mastery of words and phrases learnt in the game. So later on she says, a huge wave of zombies is approaching. It's quite sophisticated use of language. Under her instruction, Emma and I are using our bodies to defeat the waves of approaching zombies. Her imagination transplants the game seamlessly from tablet to trampoline, with one important detail changed. On the trampoline, we win every time. Okay. <laughs> So again, um, Rosie and John are two preschoolers also living in Sheffield, but their parents, when they were asked to select, both chose professional status from this scale. Rosie's four. Rosie loves CBeebies shows, in particular Mike the Knight and Octonauts, although she's beginning to say that she's too old for some of the content. Today, her mum is in introducing her to the CBeebies Alpha Blocks game on the tablet. In this brief excerpt, Mum is framing Rosie's learning with the tablet in a style very similar to school teaching, scaffolding her progress with eye contact, verbal prompts and literary er elaboration. So she says, is it like a balloon? The game on screen serves as a prompt for Mum to take Rosie's learning further, gaining new vocabulary, sagging, and cementing the learning with a physical gesture to understand and remember the word and its meaning. John is four and his brother James is seven. I'm visiting them for the fifth time and we've gone upstairs to the boys' bedroom. The boys have been telling me all about their new favourite video game, which is called Castle Crashes. Several physical artefacts around the room attest to this new interest. The boys have a Castle Crashes poster on the wall and they're showing me these cardboard cut-out figures of characters and cardboard masks that they've made. 
A member of John's family, um, sometimes their mum and dad, in this case their granddad, has engaged with and built on their interest in playing with digital games and has used it to engage them in other forms of both traditional and digital play. So John and his granddad went onto the home computer together to find these free Castle Crashers character templates, which they've then printed out onto card, cut out and stuck together. Granddad's been able to assist in improving John's physical skills in making the characters, as well as his ability to search for relevant content online. The boys are now creating original play with these physical castle crashes characters together in their room. Both boys are demonstrating knowledge about the characters in the original digital game, using the poster and the cardboard figures to help them identify characters by their colours. So, a few reflections on this data. First of all, I think that children and families draw on television and related media in very different ways at home before school even starts. So although each family is unique, the examples I'm presenting suggest that digital practices are broadly different in households mapping onto different social classes. So these differences might relate to the contents, um, what kind of programmes, media texts are the children drawing on in their play, the social context of their engagements, and also the nature of their playful and literate responses. So looking at that first one, this is the least explored really, but there is some suggestion that children from families who self-identified their work as manual tended to be more likely to draw, draw on certain types of media texts, so things like advertising, which could arguably still be a really visual a really valuable tool in their play. Um, secondly, the social context of their engagement. All of the parents in my study spent time with their preschoolers watching television and engaging in conversation and other activities related to it. They all demonstrated a really high level of knowledge about the content their children engaged with. Parents from families who self-identified their work as professional tended to frame this social engagement with their children's television and related media content to create kind of school-like learning experiences, so teaching maths, language, subject knowledge. They were also more likely to scaffolding the children's learning across other digital and traditional forms of play, so seeking out related educational content online and also physical making and doing. And thirdly, the nature of the children's own playful and literate responses. So thinking about how are they expressing what they've learnt. Physical aspects of communication were actually really important across, across the spectrum. And all of the preschoolers I spent time with engaged in imaginative play relating to television and related media that demonstrated considerable knowledge and understanding of the media texts they were engaging with. Children from families who self-identified their work as manual tended to express their knowledge a little bit more freely and physically, so they're much more engaged in this kind of role play and physical uh, meaning making. Children who self-identified their work as professional tended to follow their parents' lead a little bit and engage in this school-like play and projects related to television and related media. So just a couple of potential implications. Um, in terms of educators, thinking about um, this gap between potentially between home and school, um, Children are all doing really valuable things at home with television and related media, but I think it's interesting to think about how these um, types of play will be treated when they go to school. Which practices might be deemed valuable and educative, or less valuable and why? Which 
Practices might be uncovered and mobilised to push children further with learning, and which might be constrained or closed down as unhelpful or inappropriate, you know, in terms of the nature of the play and the content that they're drawing on. Um, and I'm not an expert, but I just thought a few implications maybe for the industry. Um, television and related media are some of the very raw ingredients of young children's play that they're using to construct early play at home. Preschoolers have a really sophisticated knowledge and understanding of TV and related media, but they don't really differentiate between the ingredients of play, so they kind of fit together in this seamless web. Professional pre preschoolers, and I don't mean that it's their job to be preschoolers, um, and their parents are actively seeking opportunities to extend their engagement over digital and traditional platforms and materials. Um, Preschool children's ways of making meaning the world are deeply physical, and I wonder how we can build on and continue to encourage this. Okay, that's all I have to say. Thank you very much for listening. Does anyone have any questions for Vera? Um, thanks very much, that was really interesting. I was wondering, so um, I'm from Ofcom, we do loads of research we do and particularly lots of quant research mm. and we do try and analyze that by we you know by the kind mm. etc social class scale yeah um i don't think that always uncovers and unpicks these more complex differences that you've been alluding to mm. and i was wondering whether from your research you have any ideas about whether there are other indicators that might be, that we could use, that would be a more sophisticated way of getting at some of these differences. Oh gosh, yeah. I also have another question, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is, I was also interested in your point about the differences in the different kinds of content, and in particular about the fact that they're uh, drawing more on advertising. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could say a bit more about that. I mean particularly at Ofcom we're, we're very interested in media literacy mm. and the extent to which children and adults are able to um, identify when they're being advertised to. Mm. And I was wondering whether the different sources that both parents and children are, are accessing had where that was coming from and, and whether that had any differences in their ability to kind of understand different kinds of media. Mm, yeah, um, I guess in terms of your second question, um, it's kind of, it's, it's an assumption based on various sort of examples I've seen in the data. And I would say that where children are drawing more on advertising, the, it, that exposure to advertising for me, um, because they discuss it a lot with their parents, does seem to lead to a kind of an increased understanding of advertising. Um, so the four, Emma, the trampoline girl, she um, she's four years old, and uh, developmental psychologists say that children under seven can't understand the persuasive nature of advertising. And she was very able to articulate the fact that adverts want you to go somewhere. Um, so, you know, a flip side of the, the argument about advertising, I think, is that actually exposure can help, where scaffolded properly by parents, can actually improve media literacy. Um, in response to your first question, that's really hard because I think, <laughs> I guess we're trying to, like, extract something from the qualitative to kind of make quantitative. Um, and I don't think you can find the things out without doing that really in-depth research. But due to quality, yeah. I just wondered if there 
better ways we can analyse the thought. Yeah, yeah. Well, Maybe a much bigger question that I could talk to you about afterwards. Yeah. If, if, yeah. Okay. Any more questions? It's really a question about parental engagement. Yeah. All your families, no matter how they define themselves, yeah. were very clearly engaged yeah. with their children. Yeah. Have you had any opportunities or is there any research that's actually looking at children where there's much less engagement from the parents? Um, I mean, we didn't select families particularly because of that engagement. It just seemed to be reflected. And, and again, the survey would suggest that all of the parents did spend some time every day with their children watching television. Um, that data about the professional parents sometimes spending less, I think, reflects the fact that you know they're more likely to have um, working mum and dad in a professional family. Um, but obviously, the people who agreed to be part of this were probably more likely to be people who had time to spare. So not really. It would be interesting to look at that. Yeah. Thank you for your input.